This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm Steven Igo. We are recapping a huge weekend of baseball for the Pirates as they win three or four against Tulane. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and now ECU graduate, Jonathan Wagner. Jonathan, I kept saying we were going to continue to uh, to tease you on your upcoming graduation. Now it's here, and now you're uh, officially an adult now, now into the real world. Yeah, that's a little scary, isn't it? But, yeah, it's been a good weekend. Was able to get out to baseball on Friday, like I continued to say the past couple weeks I would after graduation. So I sat through the rain with everyone else, and it was a great way to spend graduation. And it was a fun weekend, and I'm glad that ECU was able to get a series win to really top it off. Yeah, huge series. I mean, we talked about it last week in recapping the Wichita State Series, just how important this was. The Pirates entered a game and a half off the pace of the American Athletic Conference, needed to win three or four just to kind of have the inside track control their own destiny, and they do just that. They win three or four, arguably should have swept Tulane, which we'll get into. But, you know, this was just a great series to watch, Jonathan. I mean, for all the talk about the unwritten rules of baseball, there should be no smack talk, no bat flipping, all that stuff. To me, when you have that in a series and you combine the fact you've got first place on the line, you've got two talented teams going at it, this had all the makings of a great baseball series, and it turned out to be exactly that. I, I really enjoyed just watching all four games, and you could kind of feel the energy when you were at Clark Leclerc Stadium this weekend. Yeah, for sure. It it felt like a postseason atmosphere to me from the first pitch on Friday, obviously with the big pitching matchup. And then Saturday, obviously a emotional day with senior day and two games that day. And like you said, it was really highly contested series throughout. There were a lot of emotions, a lot of big moments, a lot of, you know, bat flipping and talking and back and forth. And it was really entertaining really emotional and like I said I, it was it was a postseason atmosphere and it's been a while since I think we've felt something like that inside Clark Leclerc Stadium so it was a welcome sight in a really entertaining series all around and it's always that much more exciting when uh, the team that we cover comes out on top in these games and we're able to uh, get on Twitter and see all the smack talk from East Carolina fans and all the graphics about uh, Donovan Benoit what he said um, you know can ECU take one game of four from Tulane? Cliff Godwin with the nice jab in yesterday's press conference, Jonathan, uh, with the I'm just glad we could win one game. Uh, very snarky, Cliff, uh, which I like. Yeah, hey, man, like to me, like, yeah, I get it. You know, baseball, 
the unwritten rules and all that, but to me, this is what makes baseball great. All the the back and forth, like this, just adds so much more to it. So I hope ECU wins the regular season. I hope Tulane is the two seed. They both make the tournament, and I hope that uh, in the American Athletic Conference Championship, they both win their respective sides of the bracket and meet in the championship game because that would be fun. But we got a long way to go between now and then. Let's go and, and dissect this series like we always do, Jonathan, game by game. And we will start with game number one. And it was a pitcher's duel on paper going into the game. And as always, you know, when we build something up as a pitcher's duel in baseball or a potential offensive shootout in football, the opposite happens. And in many ways, that did on Friday in the single game opener as Gavin Williams and Braden Olthoff from Tulane went head to head and Gavin uh, was was dominant for five innings and ECU had a great approach against Braden Olthoff and uh, really drove him out of the game after four innings and the Pirates ended up emerging victorious 12 to four so maybe not the two to one two nothing three two game that a lot of people expected but I, I thought ECU was locked in from the jump in this game had a great approach offensively and uh, really stuck to it against a very good Tulane pitcher. Yeah, I mean, coming into it, like you said, I think pretty much everyone who knew the pitching matchup and what was behind it coming in, like you said, expected like a 2-1, 3-2 type of game, low scoring, not a lot of hits. But, you know, ECU was consistent throughout Oltoff's outing. They got the run in the second on the Seth Cadell RBI ground out. And then wild pitch in the fourth, Agnos comes home. And then Bryson Worrell and Seth Cadell with back-to-back homers in the fourth, which really kind of just – set the tone early and that's when you kind of knew you know okay we might not get this easy pitcher's duel and maybe like you said the ECU came out firing they had a good approach all day long I thought all weekend long they had pretty good at bats and from there ECU broke it open late it ended up being 12 to 4 like you said the exact opposite of what pretty much anybody would have expected but it was really encouraging to see that because in my mind at least I thought this is this first game of the series is probably the most important game ECU has played all season. With first place on the line in the on the weekend, I think if you come out and you win that first game, it sets you up to win the series. But if you lose that game, you probably have a really tough road ahead of you to win the series. And ECU got off to a good start. They took the series and it set them up for a really successful weekend. Yeah, and we know how good Gavin Williams has been, but behind him in the starting rotation I mean, let's face it, Jonathan, the, the starting rotation going into this weekend outside of Gavin Williams was a giant question mark. I mean, so you, you almost had to win game one on paper because Tulane, one through four, kind of has an established rotation. Their guys have been pitching deep in the games all year. And, you know, all of a sudden you're knocking their ace out in the fourth inning or after four innings. Gavin was uh, simply dominant until the, the replay review, and then he kind of lost it. It was obvious, man. He was locked in. I mean, he comes out just pumping 98. I mean, he's usually in that 95, 94 to 96 range as a starter, but he was sitting 98, and he ramped it up back to 98 in that fifth and sixth inning. So um, tons of scouts on hand to see him and Oltoff and just a lot of good uh, lot of good pitching from those guys all year long. But Gavin gets the better of uh, Oltoff in the series opener. Huge game from Connor Norby as he hits a bomb, an absolute uh, no-doubter. Uh, goes 4-for-5 with four ribbies. Bryson Worrell 
with a home run and Seth Cadell also with the home run. So lots of uh, lots of extra base hits in this game. Bryson Worrell also with the triple. And so a uh, bunch of hits, 16 hits for the Pirates as they win game one, 12 to four. All right, game two, Jonathan, you covered the doubleheader on Saturday, a day after uh, your graduation. And you were at the ballpark a long time and it started with this first game, three hours and 36 minutes. Uh, but the Pirates were able to pull it out. Again, another pretty good pitcher's matchup. Jack Aldrich, the Tulane lefty, went against Tyler Smith, who ended up getting bumped up to the game two start. And Smith Smith pitched pretty well, uh, but I thought the ECU bullpen also did its job in this one. Uh, overcame, you know, a miscue in the field and ended up, uh, you know, doing the job as the familiar trio of Cam Colmore, C.J. Mayhew, and Matt Bridges Shut it down in a seven to four victory, and ECU takes a two nothing series lead. Yeah, like you said, it was one of those games. You know, Tyler Smith got bumped up, and you you wonder again. You know, what which Tyler Smith are you going to get today? And I thought Tyler Smith pitched well, all things considered. Gave up five hits, three strikeouts, three walks, two runs. He was efficient early. I think he was through the first two innings on fifteen pitches, and the third inning is when he started to allow some base runners to get on and he gave up two runs through yeah two runs both in the third and the fifth and ECU was able to offensively get through it with four runs in the third inning and from there it was it was a 4-2 game until the later innings and then ECU was able to tack on two more in the seventh with which really proved to be huge insurance runs because Tulane came out in the eighth got two back there was another error in that inning on Connor Norby. And ECU tacked one more on in the eighth with another Connor Norby home run. But, yeah, I thought Tyler Smith pitched well early. And as he got later into the game, as we've seen throughout the year, you know, he started to tail off maybe a little bit. But Cam Colmore came out of the pen. He went two-thirds of an inning. He got hit around a little bit, two hits, one strikeout, one walk. But C.J. Mayhew came in, went two and a third. He gave up a couple hits, a couple runs as well. Also unearned runs, both of them were. And then Matt Bridges, who pitched, would go on to pitch in this game and two more consecutively, three games to close out the series. Matt Bridges pitched really well out of the bullpen, two strikeouts, really settled things down. And, you know, we've talked about the big three out of the bullpen all season long. It's been a common theme. And in the front end, front end of a doubleheader, you go to your guys. And they got the job done. It wasn't the prettiest win. It was a close win. It was a really hard-fought battle back and forth as the whole series was. But the guys out of the bullpen did their job, and ECU's offense was able to muster just enough to get a victory in the game one of the doubleheader. Yeah, and, and again, you are you have a chance to take a 2-0 series lead in a four-game series. You go to your guys out of the bullpen, and that's exactly what Cliff Godwin did, and it paid off. And uh, the Pirates with a four spot in the third inning offensively. Again, to answer Tulane in the top of the third after an RBI single, it seemed like every time throughout the weekend, Jonathan, that when Tulane got a run or some momentum, ECU had an answer for them outside of maybe the, the final few innings of the, the night game doubleheader, which we'll get to in a minute. But the Pirate offense just would not go away. Uh, every time Tulane took a lead or made a run, ECU – put some quality at-bats together, got a bunt down, hit a home run. They just would always seemingly answer, and a lot of those came with two-out hits or just manufacturing runs. I just thought it was a solid all-around weekend by the offense, 
in that realm. And then we've seen that kind of come and go at times. But uh, the Pirates did not, uh, you know, maybe maybe not all season have had a better offensive weekend from start to finish just as far as execution. Yeah, I agree. We've talked all season, you know, well, ECU, maybe they've looked dominant at times. I still don't think we've seen the pitching and the hitting both dominate at the same time. We haven't seen it click together. And I think this weekend was probably the closest we've seen so far. And you mentioned, you know, you you tweeted it out, but ECU was really controlling the strike zone all weekend. They were not swinging at bad pitches. They were swinging at strikes, attacking strikes. And Thomas Francisco, obviously he had a big day yesterday on Sunday, but on Saturday in both games with a doubleheader, he had two big hit and runs, which really spoke out to me. Connor Norby got off to lead the, in the four-run third on in the first game. Norby drew a leadoff walk. And then Francisco with a perfectly executed hit and run set him up for a really nice weekend or a nice game. And then he had another perfectly executed hit and run in the second game of the doubleheader. So really great at-bats all around. And I think this was the most well put together I've seen the offense and the pitching together look so far this season. Game three of the series, game two of the doubleheader, was on Saturday evening. And all things considered, this may have been the best all-around baseball game of the series. Tulane emerges victorious in a near four-hour game, three hours, 57 minutes. Uh, Jonathan, man, you were there a while on Saturday. But, uh, yeah, ECU uh, fell victim to a late home run. But I think this game featured five lead changes as Tulane took an early lead. Pirates answer with a three-run bottom of the first. Um, and then Tulane, of course, goes back up in the in the fifth. ECU again answers in the bottom of the sixth as Makarevich and Agnos get big RBI hits. Uh, but then the Pirates turn it over. You know, we talked about it. They went to their guys out of the bullpen in game one of the doubleheader, so you had to kind of go to some different guys. They, they go to Sailor. Uh, A.J. Wilson, who pitched pretty well. Then they go to Ryder Giles. And Ryder has been a guy who's pitched pretty well all year, but he is prone to the home run ball if he falls behind in counts. He did 2-0 to Ethan Groff. And when you're throwing 83, 84 miles an hour and you center cut it and the guy has a a hitter-friendly count, well, you end up with a ball in the parking lot near Charles Boulevard, and that's exactly what happened. And and then Tulane brings in Keegan Gillis, who's their dude out of the bullpen, six eight, throwing ninety five miles an hour, and the Pirates just couldn't couldn't mount a late comeback. But this was just a good all around game, Jonathan. Yeah, for sure. It it was one of those games, you know. I mentioned it with Tyler Smith, but Jake Kuchmaner starting the back end of the doubleheader. Which Jake Kuchmaner are you going going to get? I thought obviously we couldn't really watch last weekend against Wichita State, but Kuchmaner had a better performance. It looked like, and you think you know, hopefully he can build off of that. But he was able, only able to go two complete innings, six hits, three runs. And then, like you said, you know, the big three out of the bullpen were used in game one. So Garrett Saylor was the first man up. He goes three and two-thirds and really, really an effective outing. He may have given up three hits, two runs, but I thought he was back to the dominant Garrett Saylor. That with, with Saylor, it's, he's either been hit or miss as well. You know, he's either really dominant or really – wild not throwing strikes but Garrett Saylor looked really good and then AJ Wilson I thought probably had the best outing of his career on Saturday he came in he got the last out in the six and then coach Godwin mentioned it post game but you know he wasn't he wasn't planning on rolling AJ Wilson back out there for the seventh 
just since he's typically better lefty on lefty. But he rolled him out there. I believe he went against the heart of the order too, Bennett Lee and Aviles, the catcher or first baseman throughout the, most of the weekend. But A.J. Wilson did a great job. He really came in and, dare I say it, but he really pumped up the crowd a little bit. Don't do it, John. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. I, I've got to say, pump it up has really grown on me. Oh, I'm a fan. Man. And I had to hear it on uh, on Sunday as well. Oh, I was excited. I know since A.J. Wilson is obviously listening to this podcast, I am a fan of Pump It Up. Yeah, I think you did a great job. I wasn't sure at first, but I love it. It's fun. And, yeah, but back to it, A.J., he really did, you know, really energize the crowd a little bit with his outing, his strikeout to get out of the sixth, and then giving an effective seventh inning as well. It was big. And then, obviously, like you said, Ryder Giles came in and didn't have his best pitching performance, which was unfortunate. But Matt Bridges used him in game one, used him in this game. He pitched the final um, one and a third, and he was dominant again, as he was in game one. But I think a common theme, like you said, ECU just left too many guys on base. They left a man on base every inning from one through eight, didn't get anybody on in the ninth. It was a really common theme. It's tough to do that, especially when you lose seven to six, you lose by one run. It's tough to look back and see that you left so many men on base throughout the game. But I thought it was a good job by the bullpen for the most part outside of that eighth inning. And it was a close finish. It was another close one as every game was. Yeah, this was a, there was some, there was a, a point or two early in the game. I can't remember the exact situation, but ECU had multiple runners on in scoring position and could not get them in. I think it may have been the second. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Second and third, one out. Josh Moylan strikes out swinging, and Makarevich fly out. At that point, the score was 4-3 to three ECU. You had a chance to bust it open to maybe 6-3, and um, or at least 5-3, to three, and I thought that was a, a missed opportunity. But again, you know, you play, you keep getting so many guys in scoring position, you're not going to execute every single time. That's baseball. But I thought overall, some of those left-on-base guys um, really hurt ECU. You know, I really feel for Ryder, uh, you know, I'll say this, we talked about him in the past on this podcast and kind of the struggles he's gone through, you know, what they can do with the lineup, you know, with or without him. But I'm not, you know, people need to stop with the the personal attacks on Ryder. And there's not a ton of people doing it, but, you know, just it kind of frustrates me. It's not like he's out there trying to give up home runs or strike out. Like, the guy is busting his ass. So, you know, if you want to have a conversation about Ryder and, you know, why he's struggling, that's fine. But... Um, Jonathan, you know, you know, Ryder and his family. So it's not like he's out there trying to fail. I mean, he's probably putting too much pressure on himself. So, um, I would just ask people to stop with the bashing of a player's performance. And if you want to talk about a player's performance, like that's fine. We do that on this podcast, but you know, he's still a student athlete. He's trying his best for the school you root for. So, um, that's just my personal feelings on the matter. Yeah, I'm with you a hundred percent. I think. Like you said, I, I grew up playing with Ryder. I know his family. And I can tell you that there's nobody that is driving crazier than Ryder Giles himself. He's he's struggling. He's not playing great. But it's not for a lack of effort. You know, when he, he's like you said, he's not trying to go out and strike out at the plate. He's not trying to go out and give up home runs. He's trying 
he's struggling. Every player goes through struggles. He's going to turn it around. But, yeah, the attacking people, attacking players personally, whether it's with Ryder, whether it's with whoever, we've seen a few this season, and it's a little frustrating to see. But these are just some college kids that are trying to play baseball, and the personal attacks are not good. You should not do that. But like I said, it's killing Ryder. I know it is. It's killing him to not be performing at a high level. He's always performed at a high level. I know it's driving him crazy. So it's not for a lack of effort. So it, it's it's driving me crazy seeing the personal attacks and stuff on him. So Yeah, and, and, and to Ryder's credit, he got a hit on Sunday. And I thought he made contact two or three times. Uh, my prediction as we transition to Sunday's game, I actually predicted a two-hit day for Ryder. I came just shy of it. He hit the ball hard a couple times, had some quabs, but he does finish with the hit. You predicted, Jonathan, that Carter Spivey, I believe you said he would be first out of the pen. But I did. you did say he would throw two scoreless innings, and he did do that, and he may have been the unsung hero of Sunday's game. As we go to a critical rubber game, or uh, a rubber game for ECU, <laughs> I don't even know what you call a game, a salvage game for Tulane where they're trying to split. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Whatever. ECU wins the damn series. That's all I know. They win the series three games <laughs> to one by winning Sunday. These, you know, I, I we gotta, we gotta talk about this, Jonathan. This is driving me crazy. These four game series. <laughs> um, before, before we dive into this game, like just, just covering them is a grind. Like, how do you manage and play a four game series in three days? Like. If you want to play four-game series over the course of four days, maybe that's one thing. But these four games in three days, like this is not, this is not good. This this should not be happening. Like I don't understand whatever the American thought they were doing and doing their league a favor. It's it's just not working because you know regardless of whether or not ECU wins, like to me, you're putting extra stress on the players, especially the pitchers. Um. But the players have to play 18 games or 18 innings in a in a one day span every single week, and uh, 36 innings in the span of you know 72 hours. Like to me, it's just not healthy. And even like covering it's a grind. So I know playing and managing a pitching staff has to be just uh, to really wear on these American Athletic Conference teams and all the and on all the leagues that are doing this. And notice that most of them are not the uh, major leagues. It's more the you know, the American and some of the, and the conference USA, et cetera. So I just think it was a mistake to do this, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's, you know, you looking at it on paper, you might not think going from playing three games in three days to four games in three days over a weekend is that much of an adjustment, but it is. And then if you think of the fact that, you know, the American has a 30-man travel roster, so you don't have every guy on your team available you think of managing bullpens, you know, that's part of why, you know, Cam Colmore, Mayhew, and Matt Bridges pitch every day. Also going to pitch. So I think it's crazy. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a it's a grind just to cover it. So I can't imagine how it is to be out there on the field, you know, in that hot burning sun too. You know, we get to sit in a nice cool press box and they're out there in the beating sun, you know, actually doing it. So it's crazy, but – we're almost through it. We got two more weekends of it, and then we're off to some normal conference tournament and hopefully regionals and beyond. 
Yeah, and if there's one silver lining, it's that maybe this gets EC prepared for like a conference tournament where you could be playing back-to-back days depending on if you win or lose, and a regional. If you get in the loser's bracket, you know, we've seen ECU come through the loser's bracket before, but now if they have to come through it this year, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that doesn't happen, but uh, they'll be used to freaking throwing the same pitcher multiple times in the same day or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just hope the American never does this again because it was freaking stupid. All right, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move into this game. Uh, ECU wins it 9-1, to and I was a little worried going into this game, Jonathan, not only because of the state of the bullpen, but uh, just looking at Tulane starter Tyler Hoffman's numbers, and I'd, I'd broken down the series going into the weekend, and, t- and teams over 37 innings were only hitting 140 against this dude. Uh, clearly had tremendous stuff. I mean, his his opponent batting average was lower than Gavin Williams, which kind of gives you a a sense of how dominant he's been. Uh, he was a little wild, you know. His his walk numbers were a little high, but the strikeout numbers were ridiculous. The the he had not given up a home run all year, and he didn't give up a ton of hard contact on Sunday. But when ECU squared him up, they made sure it left the field as they take him deep three times and. Um, we'll start with the offense. I thought just the offensive approach again was, was money by the pirates. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that coach Godwin mentioned it post game after Sunday, but he said he texted Thomas Francisco the night before and said, this isn't your typical Sunday starter. He's a Friday night guy with Friday night stuff. But like you said, he, he tends to get a little wild sometimes. So if you can get to him and have solid at bats, like ECU did, I thought all weekend, then you're going to set yourself up for success. ECU gets out to a good start. Connor Norby walks to lead off the game. And maybe I'm wrong, but I believe it was another perfectly executed hit and run by Thomas Francisco. The next at bat moves Connor Norby up. And then ECU, Norby's able to come home. They get another run in the third to go up 2 nothing on Thomas Francisco's first solo home run of the day. And Tulane gets one in the fourth. And then what do you know? ECU gets one in the fourth. Thomas Francisco comes out, leads off the fifth with another solo home run. Thomas Francisco had a heck of a weekend, had a heck of a day. And then Josh Moreland singles to follow it up. And Alec Makarevich with a towering two-run home run. I don't – I was watching from home. I don't know where that ball landed. But all I know is I didn't see it on TV. The ball might still be in circulation up there for all I know. But and then Zach Agnos added another solo home run in the eighth, and ECU was able to really pile it on a little bit and win it nine one. But I, like you said, the offense good approach all weekend, great at bats all weekend, and the power came out a little bit I thought too. And it was it was nice to see. Like we said, we haven't seen the offense really click like that at the same time as the pitching. And I thought, like I said earlier, we finally saw both click at the same time, and it couldn't have come at a better time. We'll talk more about the pitching in a moment because we got three or four things to touch on there. But um, I found it interesting. I don't know if you read the quote, Jonathan, from Tulane head coach Travis Jewett <laughs> in a nine to one loss, complaining about one home run that barely got over the fence. <laughs> well, I can tell you, Coach Jewett, that the other three, including Alec Makarevich's and uh, Thomas Francisco's other home run. Um, and Zach Agnos' home run, which went 400 feet backside. I think those would have cleared any park, uh, including yours, and I don't think an 8-1 to victory would have made much difference. 
compared to a 9-1 victory. But hey, whatever makes you feel better. Hope it was a safe trip home for the, the green wave. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, it's a podcast. We're going to troll when we can. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the Makarevich home run, I honestly did not see it land. I'm sure it must have went on the football field, but it was so high and right down the line to where it cleared the fence easily. Um, but I thought the offensive approach was just excellent all game. All right, let's let's hit on the pitching. Lots to talk about here. We'll start with the big story. Carson Wisenhunt returns from his uh, absence due to arm soreness. Three shutout innings. You know, fastball command was a little iffy early, kept missing up in the zone. But overall, you know, he he looked like he didn't miss much of a beat. You know, velocity was good, 93 to 94 in the first inning. Then he was basically 91-92 after that. Um, change up looked good. I don't think he threw many breaking balls, but didn't really need to. Goes 43 pitches. Uh, you know, he was on a strict pitch count. I think we saw everything we needed to see uh, from Carson Wisenhunt. Cliff Godwin said earlier on the radio today that um, he feels great after the outing, which is even a better sign. So uh, this this is great news for ECU that Wisenhunt is back and, and seems to be working his way back to uh, 100%. Yeah, for sure. I mean – Honestly, I think Carson Wisenhunt might have looked even better on Sunday than he did, you know, right before he went out with arm soreness. You know, he wasn't pitching bad before he got shut down for a little bit, but he wasn't pitching as dominantly as he was before. And his three innings were pretty dominant, I would say, on Sunday. And ECU needs him. I mean, I think we saw, you know, what we looked like without him. And it's very questionable. You know, you have Tyler Smith, who I think is pitching well right now. You have Jay Kuchmaner, who is not pitched well this season. And then even behind them two, you know, who else is there? You know, Carter Spivey, Garrett Saylor have each gotten spot starts on the season, have not looked good in that role. But, you know, it's really just a big question without Carson Wisenhunt, you know, who steps up. So it's nice to see him step up back into his role. And like we said, coming into the year, or coming into the weekend, he's not going to go throw seven shutout innings right out of the gate. He's not going to go throw seven shutout innings next weekend. I can promise you that. But it's going to be a buildup to get back to how to throwing as much as he was early in the year. But by the time you know you get to a regional, I think if you can have him at a hundred percent, no matter where you're playing, no matter what seed you are, having him to follow up Gavin Williams, and then you can go from there after they after those two pitch. It really sets you up nicely, and it's really encouraging to see Wisnant be able to bounce back after not pitching against live batters for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's the thing. I had about three or four texts. Hey, why why is Wisnant coming out of the game, et cetera? I mean, you just don't bring a guy back from arm soreness and let him go 75 to 100 pitches. I mean, especially when the end goal here is the postseason. ECU is going to be in a regional. I know they're playing for a hosting spot, but – your best chance at getting deep in the postseason is having a healthy Carson Wisenhunt following up Gavin Williams. That gives you two legitimate top-end starters, and ECU has not had that going into postseason for a long time. So that is that is the goal. That should be the goal. Uh, so he goes three innings. Great to see. All right, and then after that, it was kind of like a merry-go-round with the pitching staff for a couple innings. A.J. Wilson goes a third of an inning. Um, again, I thought it looked pretty good. He got the lefty out and then I think gave up a hit to a righty. Uh, that run ended up coming around the score. Danny Bill comes on. He throws two pitches and then has a cut on his finger. So he leaves. He ends up getting charged with the walk. Josh Groves comes in. 
He throws two-thirds of an innings. He gets out of a bases loaded jam, but then walks, or the next inning hits the guy on the first pitch. He's pulled. Nick Logish comes in, gets a couple outs, but he can't throw his breaking ball for a strike. He throws it straight to the backstop. Cliff Godwin sees enough. He comes out and takes Logish out. And then Carter Spivey comes in. And last week, Carter Spivey got one out in the start at Wichita State. I think gave up five runs. And uh, when his first fastball, Jonathan, flew across a straight, I can't even speak English now, flew across (laughs) the plate for a strike, I was encouraged. He seemed to have good body language and really looked pretty locked in. No walks and two and a third shutout innings. And, And we talked about the offense, but I thought the offense could relax because of Carter Spivey's uh, play on the mound, which really kind of settled ECU down as a whole. Yeah, I think Carter Spivey is one of those guys, you know, I, I know I just said earlier that him and Garrett Saylor have each gotten a spot start on the year and haven't looked good in that role, but Carter Spivey has had a ton of bad luck this season. You know, we started off the season, started midweek against Duke, blister. What do you know? And then he comes up, and I think he had a couple other short outings, and it took him a while to kind of build back up. And he's been he's been on or off, but the way when I look back, I remember a lot of errors behind Carter Spivey when he's been on the mound and some of his outings this season. I think just it's not even that he's pitching poorly; it's just he's just getting hit. You know, last weekend against Wichita, Wichita State, they hit well all weekend. It wasn't just against Carter Spivey; it was against every pitcher we threw out there. So. I like Carter Spivey's upside. I think that he really can be a guy that steps up in a conference tournament or a regional type setting. And he might not start a game for you, but he might do what he did on Sunday and come out of the bullpen, whether he's the first man out, whether he comes in late in the game. And he can give you two to three good innings. Even if he doesn't have his best stuff, you know, he can grind it out, I think. And it was really encouraging to see him come out and pitch like that. And it also, you know, made me feel good that I could correctly predict something uh i'll go ahead and say it. i went one for two on the weekend i said josh Moreland would have two homers and four extra base hits he did not but you know i'm gonna call carter spivey a win and i'm gonna say i'm batting 500 that's a pretty good average for me yeah you need to take that to the bank and run with it so that's that's well done it's not quite the agnos home run call that that I pulled off at Georgia Southern. <laughs> I will take that every day of the week and, and continue to remind people of that. But, uh, hey, I'm proud of you, man. You did well. You called Carter Spivey's two scoreless innings, and uh, you should be proud. All right, the end of this game, the bionic – why can't I speak today? It's been a long weekend. <laughs> the bionic arm and Cam Colmore, he comes in for the third consecutive day goes one and two-thirds. Ronnie Woodward from the Daily Reflector and I are up in the press box. We see Bridges getting loose. We're like, oh, man, this is like classic senior day. Take Cam out. He's going to get a standing no. He hands the ball to Bridges. And so we're waiting on that. You know, Colmore gets out number one. They're like, all right, maybe they're waiting for two outs. He gets out number two, and, you know, they're still not going to replace him. And we're just like, oh, man, that's a missed opportunity there for a great moment. Uh, but Colmore, after a, I think it was a long at bat, I can't remember if it was that one or the, the previous. Either way, he gives up a single with two outs. Cliff Goblin sprints out of the dugout. They said he didn't want him to throw more than 25 pitches. And honestly, I think it worked out great, and I'm doing a story on it right now. Uh, Colmore waits for Matt Bridges, fellow six year senior, 
uh, two six-year COVID seniors, share an embrace. Comer walks off to a huge ovation. Matt Bridges gets the final out. Um, you can't draw it up any better than that, man. You know, best friend to best friend, six-year seniors, closing out the final regular season home game. I mean, that if that doesn't give you chills as a Pirate fan, I don't know what will. Yeah, I think all weekend, like I mentioned earlier, you know, this, the emotions of senior day, they were apparent throughout the ballpark all weekend, I thought. Saturday, obviously, the, the video that they played before the game honoring Cam, Matt, Gavin Williams, um, Tyler Smith, and Christian Smallwood. I love that video. I thought they did a great job. And I also thought it was a nice touch that over the PA um, clip gave a shout-out to the Tulane seniors that just graduated as well. I thought that was pretty cool. But all weekend long, you know, Obviously, I graduated this weekend, too, so it was cool for me. But it was about the seniors this weekend for me. And it's looking back, you know, those guys have impacted this program more than probably anybody ever has. Cliff Godwin has said it a lot throughout the season. But it was a really cool moment. I wish I was paying a little more attention to it live. I didn't get to really see it at that point. I think I left with one out in the ninth to go upstairs, go somewhere. But. So I missed that, but I saw the replay, and it was really cool. And, yeah, I, I thought they did a great job all weekend. And it was really cool to see probably the biggest weekend series of the season end on that kind of note. It was a, it was a fitting end, and you, you couldn't have drawn it up any better. We talked to Cam Colmore, Matt Bridges, and Tyler Smith, the, the three uh, seniors after the game. Uh, Tyler, of course, a fifth-year senior. Cam and Bridgie, a uh, six-year senior. Doing an article on them now, Jonathan. All right, so these are the stats. This gives, this kind of puts in perspective how much these guys have pitched. Not only the games they have won. Matt Bridges, for example, uh, and Cam Colmore were on the 2016 team, which went to the Texas Tech Super Regional. So they've been a part of two Super Regional teams already. Tyler Smith has been a part of two conference championship teams, two regional host teams, as well as, uh, you know, Colmore and, and Smith, or as Colmore and Bridges. But the trio of Colmore, Bridges, and Smith has combined for 235 appearances on the mound, 36 individual wins, 458.2 innings pitched, 385 strikeouts, and 11 saves uh, as their final season winds down. So, I mean, those are just some ridiculous numbers when you kind of put it all together. And when Cliff Godwin says, uh, you know, you, you can – they don't really have to do anything else and they've already contributed more than, than, than basically anybody at ECU baseball, he's right because those numbers are insane. Yeah, it's crazy. They're, they're definitely – you know, they might not be the most talented players that have ever come through the program, but, you know, what they've done both on the field and off the field, no, nobody's ever going to – reach that level again, I don't think. You know, Cam Colmore, he's a Winterville native. He grew up ECU, and here he is. And it's really cool to see. And, yeah, like I said, they might not be the most talented guys on the earth, but they're some of the most hardworking guys, I think, that this program has seen. And it's really nice to see them go from day one being large contributors to now being even larger contributors, you know, all around – from day one to today, they've been really big parts of this team all around, and it's nice to see it ending on this kind of note, but it's not over yet. 
So I'm excited to see what they can do to finish it out. Still much to be done, as all of them and Cliff Galvin said after the game. Uh, we'll get to the conference race in a minute as we wind down the show. Jonathan, first, uh, the, it's time to give away our weekly awards. You know, the most important awards in college baseball. The Hoist of Colors <laughs> Hitter, Pitcher, and Rookie of the Week. We'll start with our Hitter of the Week. This was a tough one. A lot of guys had really good at-bats, but we are going with uh, the fourth, the third-year sophomore, Thomas Francisco, as he goes two for five in the series opener. One for four in game two, two for four in game three, and then on Sunday in the crucial series finale, three for five, three RBIs, two runs scored, two homers. He was just uh, dominant at the plate for most of this weekend, Jonathan. Yeah, total on the weekend, he went eight for 18 with those two home runs and four runs batted in. But Francisco, like I said earlier in the show, it wasn't just the homers, it wasn't just the base hits. It was maybe it's because I'm such a big baseball guy, but I love a good hit and run. And I know I talked about it earlier, but those two perfectly executed Thomas Francisco hit and runs that may have been in the same game. I honestly can't remember. It's been a long weekend, but it was it was really encouraging to see. Like I said, we needed an offensive performance like this. And Thomas Francisco was consistently throughout the weekend a threat to do damage at the plate. And Sunday he was able to top it off with the homers. I think even if that is day on Sunday, he's a good contender for this award. And, yeah, it was a really – this is probably the most contended week, I would say, for the hitter of the week we've had. There were three guys I think we pretty hotly debated about. So, Thomas Francisco comes away with it. And one of those guys that we debated about was our Rookie of the Week winner. We give it to Zach Agnos. Uh, again, another weekend of clutch hitting, power hitting. Uh, honorable mention, of course, to Josh Moylan, who had a great weekend as well. Uh, but Agnos hits two home runs. He also doubles twice in the weekend. Uh, he knocks in five runs as well. So, again, he continues his hot hitting, not only reaching on base on balls and getting on that way, but now hitting for a lot of power, especially backside. I mean, his power backside is legit. Yeah, for sure. And Agnos, 6 for 18 on the weekend. Like you said, those two home runs, five runs batted in. But Agnos, he's a really versatile guy at the plate. He can drop down a bunt. He can bunt for a hit. He can draw a walk. He's still, I believe, top three, top five in the conference in walks. And his power is really developing. And like, you've said it a lot, but the ball just really jumps off his bat, especially when he goes backside. And I'm glad you mentioned Josh Moreland. He went 7-14 on the weekend with four runs batted in. And in the doubleheader on Saturday, he reached base six times, three in the first game, three in the second game. Josh Moreland had a great weekend. He's been batting in the three-hole. Agno's got to look in the three-hole this weekend hit fifth consistent for the most part. But those two guys, three with Francisco, it's nice to see them all coming along at the same time. And it's nice to see some other guys stepping up. But all around, just a solid offensive weekend. But those guys were the cream of the crop to us, I think. And our pitcher of the week, this was another one that was not easy to decide upon. We could have went Gavin Williams once again. We definitely could have went Cam Colmore for his uh, heroics uh, pitching in three straight days, but we're going to go with another guy that pitched three consecutive games in Matt Bridges as he pitches in both legs of Saturday's doubleheader and then closes out Sunday's finale as well. But I thought him 
to me, going both both legs of the doubleheader uh, was pretty special. I mean, you just don't see that a lot. And he looked sharp in both outings, four Ks, uh, scoreless outings in both. So well deserved pitcher of the week for the senior Matt Bridges. Yeah, I think Matt. He was the most effective pitcher all weekend. He looked the, like the most. He had the best stuff all weekend. He just couldn't get hit. He he wasn't hit against and. I think it's fitting that this award came down to three seniors, like we said. You know, Gavin Williams graduated, and then obviously Bridges and Colmore with six years, six year in the program. They all had really good weekends. You know, Gavin Williams outdueled Braden Oltoff. That was nice to see. Colmore had a couple big spots, but to me, the fact that Bridges went three games in a row Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, and he pitched as well as he did and got some really big outs all late in the game. I think they all came in the eighth and ninth all of his innings. So it was nice to see Bridges was dominant dominant and he just joins the joins the group of bullpen arms that have gotten this award. Gavin Williams has had it before. Cole Moore's had it before. CJ Mayhew's had it before. Danny Beal had it last. No, Danny Beal got the rookie, rookie of the week last rookie. week. That's right. Sorry. Sorry, Danny. Got 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 his hopes up a little bit. Should we give but him, it's nice to see. Should we give Danny Beal the rookie of the week this week for his, his <laughs> two pitches and <laughs> Trying to pitch through a cut. Yeah, we'll give him the bad bad luck of the weekend. That's fair. Bad bad luck award. That's fair. We'll do that. All right, Jonathan, let's wrap up our show with this as we're going a little long here. But um so ECU's got eight games remaining, none of them at home. You know, this conference race is not over. This was a big series victory. It gives ECU the chance to control its own destiny, the inside track, all that jazz. But now you gotta go on the road for eight consecutive games and probably win the vast majority of them to to clinch this conference championship. Four at Cincinnati, four at South Florida. Tulane, which is half a game back, is scheduled to host UCF this coming weekend, and they will go to Cincinnati the following weekend. So my question to you is this, Jonathan. How many games do you think ECU needs to win of these eight to assure itself a conference championship? Well... Uh, first off, I think the Tulane and Central Florida series is going to be great this weekend. I th- I'm really I'm going to watch every game of that series if I can. I think it's going to be entertaining. You know, two teams that we had some highly emotional series against. I'll say. Uh, I think ECU needs to. Obviously, you want them to win, win each of the series. I- I'm going to say that that's all they need to do. They need to. I'm going to say they need to win one and split another to that's probably worst case, you know, five wins, but I, I realistically think they're going to get six more. I think they're going to go three and one each of the next two weekends. Yeah. I think three and one probably gets you there both weekends. That would put you at six and two. That means Tulane would have to go seven and one to win the championship. And that would, I mean, they're capable of doing it. But I mean, they to me they have two tougher series. Um, I think UCF is harder than than USF, and I think Cincinnati is, you know, I think Cincinnati is tricky for both ECU and Tulane. I think Cincinnati can hit the baseball, and they have found some things out. Evan Shaver uh, pitched last weekend for the first time since the ECU series, and Garrett Shonley has been pitching well for Cincinnati. So they got a couple of lefties that are dangerous. Uh, that that series concerns me more than South Florida right now. Um, even if ECU swept it the first time. But I think if they find a way to win both series, they'll be in good shape. 
if they if they sweep one of the series, I think they'll they'll be in excellent shape. But obviously, it's hard to do that on the road in a four game set. So we'll see what happens, Jonathan. But the main thing is, this team did what it had to do this this past weekend. They needed this series win against a good two lane club. They got it. They played some of their best baseball when it counted. And uh, looking forward to these final two weeks and seeing how it all plays out. Of course, we got the uh, the regional host uh, that will be announced later this week. The top twenty. Uh, hosting sites, and then they'll whittle it down to 16. So we should hear ECU's name, I would think, on Thursday uh, as far as being a, a potential hosting site. Yeah, and just because ECU might be announced as a host site does not mean they're going to be the one seed when it's all said and done. So just because you hear ECU's name called on Thursday or Friday, you know, ECU does a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. The coaches know that. The players know that. But I, I also think it's pretty – locked in at this point that we're going to hear ECU announce on Thursday, but it's going to be an entertaining finish of the season. I'm like you said, I'm excited for the Cincinnati series. I think it's going to be a lot closer than the last series was between the two teams. And then I'm excited for the conference tournament. I'm excited for whatever comes after that, but it's going to be an entertaining finish and I'm excited to see how it all plays out. That is the voice of Jonathan Wagner. I'm Stephen Igo. It's been fun to bring you this 50, 50 minutes or so of content as we recap ECU and Tulane. Again, Pirates take three or four, moving to first place in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, we'll be with you next week to recap Cincinnati ECU. Until then, we appreciate you guys listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll talk to you next week. afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.